Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's episode, we learn about a couple more awesome favorites found in one of our favorite places. And of course, our animal of the week, which happens to be one of the cutest ones we've ever discussed. I hope you did better on the challenge this week than I did. Even though I really don't believe it was truly what it was supposed to be. But I will get my revenge on Casey. But enough of that. Let's jump into episode 50 of the Animal Addicts podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 50. You are just saying it. Oh my gosh. Of the Animal Addicts podcast. As always, we're your hosts, Allie. And Casey. And today, we're going to talk about a whole new X marks the spot. Marks marks. I know. See that now? <laughs> X marks the spot for treasure because these animals are treasures. Mm. So, yep, you come up with the word for X, folks. You do it. Okay. Cool. Anyway, um, but 50 is the number of states in the United States. Yep. It's half a hundred. It's 50%. Um, there's a lot of things with 50. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fun. But anyway, uh, what have you been up to since last I saw you, Casey? I went to the library at Tar Pits with I my sister. I am jealous. have yep. not been there since I was a child. Yep. You went there when you were a child? I was a little one, yeah. Oh, nice. It was the first time I ever went. <gasps> nice. How was it? I liked it. Cool. Yeah. I did not know that there were random spots where tar just pops up. Yeah. Aren't they still out there too? Yeah. yeah they're still gathering fossils. And it's like, it's just funny. Like there's these little fences. It's literally just a square to prevent people from going into tar. In the middle, by the way, if you've never um, heard of these, these are literally in the middle of LA. Of like yes. Downtown LA, basically. Mm-hmm. Not exactly downtown, but like I was not expecting area. that. Yeah. It's a little, it's kind of crazy that you have a city like LA and then mm-hmm. it's just like, well, just tar bubbling up everywhere. It's fine. Yeah. So, if we, first we, we didn't know that there was just like the tar pits sitting out. You could go over, observe them. I was upset though by the fact that the observation pit was closed that day. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. So, didn't get to see that. I'm pretty uh, sure it actually, by the way, does stink, if I recall. It does. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's cement thing <laughs> popping up. And, like, my sister and I were standing there for a while so she could take a picture of the methane bubbling up. Mm -hmm. It does not smell pleasant. It's not great. Nope. Nope. And, anyway, so we actually first started going into the museum rather than the tar pits first. Mm -hmm. And that was cool. One thing I really liked was this little um, glass area where you can see people processing the fossils that they collect from the tar pits. Well, that's cool. I don't remember seeing that when I was yeah. there, but I was like really young, so. Yeah, and then after you're cleaning, after they finish cleaning the tar off of the fossils, they'll take that tar and then they filter it because they often find a lot of micro fossils in there. Oh. Yeah, it can include stuff like insects, um, seeds from plants, hmm. um, tiny little bones from really small mammals, stuff like that. Hmm. And they, um, one thing that you could see in that area was what who they call Zed, which is their most complete mammoth that they have found at the tar pits. Mm-hmm. And there's an, just next to it, um, you can also see one of his tusks. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to go again, for yeah. sure. And it's funny that you look at, first off, they're not, some of the tar pits are not very big. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it took 
they're even though they're not big, they took down the mammoth. <laughs> it's just a few. You get stuck. Yeah. I mean, you're stuck. <laughs> yeah. And it's like there's a bunch of when you go outside, there's like infographics explaining how like certain adjacent tar pits right next to each other are vastly different ages. Weird. Yeah, it's because of when the tar actually starts bubbling up, and then a new tar pit can form that doesn't form until like thousand years later. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It still blows my mind that it's there in the middle of all that. I know. It's like, I remember when I first heard about it, I was like, I thought it was like going to be like, I knew it was near LA. I thought it was like on the, the outskirts. outskirts. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's right it's in like the middle of LA. in the middle of like all the touristy parts yes. of LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And one of my favorite things I saw was um, this wall of dire wolf skulls. Because oh, that's, that's the cool. most common predator they find there. The wall has like over 400 dire wolves. Oh my gosh. And that's just a fraction of their collection of over 1,600. Holy snap. Yeah, it's the most common predator they find in tar pits. Apparently though, dire wolves were not very smart. (laughs) Well, it's because they're pack hunters. I guess that's true, so the pack gets stuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Usually yeah. wolves send, like, one out first. You would see that one get stuck, and you'd be like, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. Bob. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one animal they, some animals they find very rarely are the saber-toothed cats That's and cool. the short-faced bear. Nice. Yeah. They both had those on display, and that's really cool. I definitely want to go again, for sure. Yeah. It's really cool. Yay! Mm-hmm. La Brea Tar Pits. Cool thing to do for your yes. And it was good that I went with my older sister, because she will actually let me read, like, the placards and, and stuff. And actually let you read things. Yes. I've done before when I don't want to slow people down. I literally, like, take pictures mm-hmm. of the placards. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'll read this later. <laughs> it's too much stuff. All right. Awesome. Yep. Well, uh, Definitely have to go again. Yeah. We should do a podcast field yep. trip there one day. And uh, have, one of their museums is closed. But I also want to see the Natural History Museum in L.A. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. want to go to the science one with the um, shuttle. Oh, yeah. Really bad. Um, also, I don't think I've been to the museums in L.A. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think they're going to the L.A. one. I think my sister's been to, like, an art museum, which I don't care for. I don't care about that either. <laughs> I don't care about San Diego either. I'm like, meh, okay. Yeah. I've got, like, my three of, like, oh, there's some more. There's some mm-hmm. of them, too, I'm kind of interesting because they're, like, so offshoots, like, the car ones and stuff. But anyway. I like um, my Natural History Museum, Sarah. Natural History Museum of Man, um, the Reuben H, mm. and the Aeronautics one. I definitely want to go to the Smithsonian someday mm-hmm. and the one in New York. Another thing I was annoyed at. Okay, so also on that ill-fated um, DC trip that I did where they mm-hmm. screwed me out of Lion King, um, or at least most of Lion King, um, we went to Smithsonian and they gave us like two hours. At the, do you have any concept of how big the Smithsonian is and how much really cool shit the Smithsonian? Yeah, I was it's at... It's a massive collection of yeah. museums. It's not like one museum. Mm-hmm. So we did the natural history one, but like that's all yeah. you could really do. Yeah, like the Librarian Tar Pits Museum, because it's so niche, um, it's pretty small compared to like the Natural History Museum yeah. in San Diego. And I was still there for like a, over an hour. Yeah. And, hour half over that's that. definitely something you're gonna do while you do something else that day yeah but i would probably hit up multiple museums that day mm-hmm. but anyway yeah it's um it's pretty cool but smithsonian's mm-hmm. pretty cool i've been to the london i don't know i don't remember what that one's called but it's like a natural history museum there mm-hmm. too it's pretty cool anyway 
Museums are cool. I just like museums because we're nerdy people. That's like, okay. Like, if someone wants to win me over, yeah, they need to take me on a date to a museum. Seriously, that's me like, too. It's like I don't care about a fancy dinner. Also, yeah. I'm a picky eater, so it's a terrible choice oh, anyway. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't want to have to like get. Also, up. if you don't like the person, you're stuck with them forever. Yeah, it's like oh god, there's nothing else to do. But I'm like museums, zoos, walk in the park, mm-hmm. like so much more. At that point, yep. too bad that will never work. for me. We get along in so many ways. Not going to yeah. work. Anyway. Um, but yeah. So yeah. I, I'm 100% with you. I love going to museums. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'm weird like that. But then I also yep. want to go do adventurous stuff. Like I want to rappel down a cliff. And then the next day I go to a museum. <laughs> like there need to be layers to what yeah. I want to do with life. Anywho's. One thing I will be doing that's fun in a couple weeks is I'll be zip lining in the redwoods up north. That'll be fun. Is it going to be the cheating zip line where you don't have to do anything? I don't know. I imagine it will be because that sounds extremely touristy. So I'm gonna guess it's like the yeah. park one where you don't do anything mm-hmm. and you just ride the zip line. Yeah. The Costa Rica one you actually had to work and is the best tricep mm. workout I've ever had in my life if you screw up. <laughs> so I recommend screwing up because you get a really good tricep <laughs> workout. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, all right, cool. Well, I felt that I need to get back in my duties again of watching these nature things. So I was like, I'm going to hit up the whales one again. So I think there's literally only four episodes because no more have been added since last I went. Mm-hmm. I obviously skipped the orcas again. Um, you need to dive into the orcas. This time I went to the <laughs> the uh, the Secrets of Whales humpback songs. I must say, the way they structure these is real lame. I'm sorry. Like, the other one was like the beluga. It was just, the whole Secrets of Whales is weird. And the humpback song, I'm like, all oh, whales do stuff. And belugas obviously have a more complicated, <laughs> like, <laughs> sound system. That's not it. Um, but, like, speech and, and vocalizations. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so um, I'm going to start off by saying we can relax. This is a safe one. This is an officially safe. There's one incident with, you guessed it, an orca, <laughs> but it works out and it's all okay. And um, humpbacks are just cool. And just the film they get of these things are so cool. The way they do the little bubble things, which a lot of animals do. This little, like, bubble thing mm-hmm. to get the fish together. And then they, but seeing a humpback whale open its mouth and, like, oh, yeah, it's crazy, man. Humpbacks are my mom's favorite whale. And she really wants to see them when we go whale watching. It was amazing when I saw mm-hmm. them whale watching. And then there's one point, and the guy is snorkeling. Mm-hmm. One of the National Geographic, because this is a mix of Disney and National Geographic working together. Um, I'm going to guess that Disney owns National Geographic because Disney owns almost everything now. And it's kind of scary, like, how they're monopolizing pretty much everything. Anyway, um, but you get to see this guy because he's snorkeling and he's near a calf at first. And the calf is like, what's this weird looking dude? And, like, checking him out and, like, hanging out. Like, what's happening? And the calf is not that much bigger than this guy. And then the calf goes down and is like... I'm assuming talking to mom, like, mom, there's a weird freaking animal up there. Like, what is this? And then at some point later, the mom comes up and you see the guy next to the mom. I don't know. Is it the mom or is it a different one? Anyway, he's in the water with close to another, like, probably full grown um, humpback giant. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. I'm like, the calf is like barely bigger than him. And this thing is like massive. And I was like, seeing that and knowing what we saw when we were whale watching, I was like, they're so big. (laughs) It's crazy. And of course, they have awesome video of them breaching and everything, and and like flapping their fins around and stuff. They're so cool. But anyway, I do love humpbacks, and they um they also have different little groups of humpbacks. There's mm-hmm. some that are up in Alaska, some that are down. Um, and apparently, they all like sing the same song. Like all the males try to attract the ladies with songs and stuff, and like the same melody was passed from like groups of whales like 
so far away from each other. So it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. But anyway, totally safe. Um, I like the blue one better. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love humpbacks. They're probably my second favorite whale. And um, they're really awesome and seeing them, like, eat. And also, at one point, they're on this little boat. And they're trying to figure out. So when you see the, like, seagulls gathering, you're like, oh, that's where they're going to come up. Because mm-hmm. the seagulls are like, oh, they're going to push all the herring up, and I'm going to grab them. And they all come up. There's, like, ten of them at least who've all come up to feed at the same time. And they're probably, like, 12 feet away from this boat that's smaller than a humpback mm-hmm. whale. <laughs> and I was just like, ugh, I feel like I'd panic. But anyway, really cool. That one is safe. You're good to go. I don't have a list of them, but at least as far as the whales go, we have mm-hmm. uh, safe, humpback songs, and I think it's Beluga Kingdom, mostly safe. Mm-hmm. So there we go. I do it for you. Moving right along <laughs> to what Casey wanted to talk about today. And what, what was that, Casey? Depression. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I need to get back onto my mopey streak because I had too many positive stories. Wow. <laughs> I was the all depressing one a couple episodes ago. Okay. Yes. Yes, so this one, I found an article that was about how a report shows crisis for North American birds. Great. Okay, yes. yeah, tell us how they're all dying and how yes. they're all doomed. Great. So a federal report has shown that since 1970, there have been a loss of 3 billion birds in North America. Oh, that's a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. United States Fish and Wildlife Service released an update of the Birds of Conservation Concern Report, the first update since 2008. And this report makes a list of priority species that are going to need conservation investments to help preserve their natural populations. Okay. The list that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service made includes 269 bird species, Mm -hmm. of which none are currently listed under the United States Endangered Species Act. All these species are currently protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. It shows the importance for the current administration to reinstate protections for these species to be proactive in conservation efforts before species become endangered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Current yeah. administration needs to step it up a bit in yeah. many departments right now. Yeah. So various organizations, including the National Audubon Society and American Bird Conservancy, have made a list of actions needed to help preserve species and protect birds in general in the United States. They set One of the things is to strengthen the Migratory Bird Treaty Act because it's so far showing to be insufficient in preserving species, and as well as increase funding for federal and state wildlife agencies and revitalize and enhance their framework for national and international conservation efforts of migratory birds. And many of these species serve as what's called indicator species to determine how the ecosystem as a whole is faring and the future trends of the birds in the re- this report will be vitally important in determining how determining whether or not the conservation actions being taken are actually working however the report did not provide an assessment of the treat the threat of climate change for these species but in 2019 the national audubon society revealed that two-thirds of north american birds are threatened by extinction if action is not taken against climate change wow yes and some species from grassland and arid habitat like the lesser prairie chicken and the greater sage grouse are particularly threatened according to this report both of these species are already threatened by oil and gas development and invasive plant species and for these two species, at least, they receive significant amount of attention. And the lesser prairie chicken is even be, currently being considered for listing under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. 
and protecting these species will also be important for those in agriculture as these birds are important for stimulating healthy grassland habitat and bring nourishment back to the soil. Mm -hmm. And shorebirds and seabirds are also being shown to be under significant threat as shorebirds populations have decreased by 70% since 1973. And worldwide, seabird populations have decreased by 70% since 1950. Wow. Yep. That makes sense, though. Mm -hmm. These species are under threats, especially from coastal development and climate change affecting ocean conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So, yeah. But again, it doesn't exist, and we don't need to do anything about it. <laughs> and we definitely need to keep continuing with oil and not work into other ways that make yeah. more sense and are sustainable. But, you know. <laughs> Money. Okay, so um, I don't really know how to segue, but like also is like, you know, just why? Literally the title of this article is, <laughs> that I got from the garden and I will share. <laughs> why on earth would someone kidnap a lemur from a zoo? Okay, so a suspect arraigned in California in the latest in a round of zoo thefts. Wait, in California? Yeah, this happened in California. How do I not know this? I know, it happens a lot of places. Which zoo? Um, I will we'll say in a second. Okay. Okay, so, um, there was a lemur kidnapping. <laughs> so back in October, a 31-year-old man out in California swiped a ring-tailed lemur and it goes on to talk about ring-tailed lemurs, but we know what they are. Out of the San Francisco Zoo. The San Francisco, Francisco Zoo they zoo. stole this from, okay? Mm -hmm. The primate named Maki, I'm guessing, was found hungry, dehydrated, and agitated Aww. shortly after on a playground in Daly City. Why? Um, and then on Monday, the alleged lemur napper <laughs> was arraigned in a virtual U.S. district court hearing, yada, yada, whatever. He faces up to $50,000 in fines and possibly a year in prison if found guilty, which is a big deal to, like, take a wild animal. Like, it's a problem for the animal yeah. and also, like, the neighborhood. Um, unsure why they kidnapped it. They go on to speculate that um, some people steal these things to sell them mm -hmm. for money, for pets and stuff, sell them on the black market. Um, they go on to give some examples of these. <laughs> um, they're saying, like, that's why in 2018, a 25-year-old in Northwest England, who has since been sentenced to nearly three years in prison for bird wound theft, scooped up two Humboldt penguins, two Rosiet Spoonvilles, and three macaws and then sold them on the black market for money, obviously. Um, similar motives could be attributed to the person who stole a red-footed tortoise out of the Buffalo Zoo in upstate New York in 2020. Nice. As those reptiles are common pets and fetch anywhere, also for only 150 or $300. I was going to say, I've seen yeah. them at reptile dealerships. Yeah. <laughs> and as well, a person in um, who robbed California's Fresno Chaffe Chaffe Zoo um, of one of its lesser sulfur-crested cockatoos last November. Um, anyway, so a lot of times I think that they're trying to do it for um, selling them on the black market, but on a grim note, as they say. Uh, I'll get to that part. Um, so back in 2017, some poachers broke into France's Chateau de Foirizu. They shot and killed a four-year-old southern white rhino named Vince I and sawed that. off one of his horns. And then, of course, sold that because um, this is why people do this shit, because it's $54,000 per gram on the black market. Stop fucking using rhino horns. Doesn't do anything. Rip your own fingernails out, idiot. Anyway. Um, but then they also referenced this. They're like, then again, maybe the man had a clandestine lemur habitat perfectly maintained in his home. <laughs> 
and wanted to introduce Maki to it, kind of like the people who stole Miss Helen, a 16-inch long horn shark from her open-top enclosure at the San Antonio Aquarium, who police say had mocked up an aquarium-level habitat for all kinds of dubiously possessed marine life in his home. Anyway, also just, but the main thing is like, why, why are you stealing from a zoo? Yeah. It's just weird. It's just freaking weird. Anyway, so yeah, so that happened here in California, and all, apparently all over the place is where this happens. Mm. Did not know that zoo thefts were a thing of animals. Now we know. There are lemur nappings, and bird nappings, and all kinds of nappings. So, there you go. People stop being stupid. <laughs> that's, that's basically what I've got for that. And these people were stupid in North America, which of course is what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And speaking of zoos, Casey, look at that segue. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> it's it a was, good segue, actually. I almost actually. said it was your turn to <laughs> pick again. Mm -hmm. It was my turn to pick our, uh, our, our picks category, our favorites. And I was extremely specific, basically because I wanted to do this animal. Haha, mm -hmm. like you've done in the past. Um, I chose our favorite favorite North American animal that can be found in Condor Ridge at the Wild Animal Park, <laughs> basically AKA known as the American Natives area because all of them are native to America, um, at the Wild Animal Park. And Casey, which one did you pick? I picked the California Condor. I was very happy you did because that was my second choice yeah. and they're really cool. And if you go to the park, you have to go see them, especially when they spread their wings. It's really cool. Yes. You can also see them too, but mm -hmm. anyway, continue. Yeah. So these guys' scientific name is... J Gymnogyps californianus. Mm -hmm. Currently found primarily in the state of California, but once roamed across much of the United States and Mexico. It is the largest bird in North America. Has a wingspan of about one, not wingspan, <laughs> is 1.17 to 1.34 meters long. Weighs 7 to 9.9 .9 kilograms. Has a wingspan of 277 centimeters. What is that in feet? About nine and a half. I was going to say, it's pretty long. I think it's like nine, yeah? Yep. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And they are a long-lived bird species that is known to live into their 40s. They are, in fact, a large species of New World vulture, and they can be distinguished from other birds when flying because they have, the they have a large white triangle underneath their wings. Mm -hmm. Despite everyone at the safari park saying they can see them. <laughs> All the time. It's like a turkey vulture. I'm like, I don't think you understand how big these are. Yeah. <laughs> Condors, like other vultures, are scavengers. Oh, wait. Skipped something. <laughs> Go back. With their enormous wingspan, they can ride thermals, which are rising air currents that result from the sun heating the ground, which then rise up in the form of air currents. And they can ride these thermals and soar for hours and can be up to 4.6 kilometers above the ground. Wow. Mm -hmm. And like other vultures, condors are scavengers. And while up in the air so far above the ground, their sense of smell is useless. <laughs> Especially since, like most bir other birds, they have a poor sense of smell. Rather, they rely on incredibly powerful eyesight to spot caucuses mm -hmm. carcasses from over four kilometers above. One distinguishing feature of condors is the bald pinkish head. A feather's head allows it to dig into carcasses without getting rotten meat stuck on its head. That would normally happen if it had feathers. Mm -hmm. The head also serves as a status symbol to other condors as their head is duller gray color when they are young and eventually turns redder as it matures. They are monogamous species that will often mate for life. They are cliffside nesters in that they will lay their eggs on cliff ed ledges, but do not actually gather materials to construct the nest for the oh, egg. No. 
Both parents share a responsibility of incubating the egg and tending the offspring when it hatches. They are not particularly fertile species in that they usually only raise one chick and typically only produce once every other year. Hmm, okay. If one egg does not survive, the female can lay a pre- replacement egg one month after the initial one is laid. Oh. Mm-hmm. Many conservation programs have taken advantage of this aspect of their biology and will often take an egg away from a breeding pair and place it in an incubation chamber or with a surrogate to increase the number of offspring they produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the surrogate can be another condor, but sometimes it can be a completely different species, like another vulture species, or even something like a chicken. <laughs> There's a chicken? Yeah. Oh my god, the, raising a condor? Yes, it's a kind of surrogacy called cross-fostering. <laughs> they will also use sometimes use chickens for raising things like eagles and hawks. Oh my gosh, which would eat a chicken. <laughs> yes. That's terrible. In other instances, they will use a condor puppet to raise chicks so it doesn't get imprinted on humans and will be eligible for release back into the wild. Mm -hmm. Generally, they are social in that they will share food from the same carcass and spend time in close proximity to one another, but are not necessarily a flocking species. An interesting aspect of the condor is that it may be an evolutionary anachronism. Because? So... An evolutionary anachronism is when an organism seems to be adapted for an environment that no longer exists, and that is due to the condor's immense size, and there does not seem to be many large mammals around to sustain it. Okay. So it's likely that it evolved its large size to feed on the now extinct megafauna of North America, yeah. like mammoths and mastodon. Hmm, okay. It has been protected by the U.S. Endangered Species Act since 1967 and the California Endangered Species Act since 1971. It's listed as critically endangered by the IUC and Red List. There are about 160 in California, 80 in Arizona and Utah, and over 30 in Baja, California. The population is currently increasing, thankfully. It is one of conservation success stories because back in 1982, there were only 22 left. Mm-hmm. And then... Coordination from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, California Department of Fish and Game, National Audubon Society, L.A. Zoo, and San Diego Zoo started a breeding program and collected all the ones from the wild and has brought the species back from the brink of extinction. Are they really truly California condors, though? Because they also had to use Andean condors to help out with that. What do you mean? They were using Andean condors. I'm pretty sure it's Andean condors mm-hmm. to help out with that stuff. I think they were... I don't remember exactly, but there was a whole thing about the Indian condors being involved in it. So I'm like, are they purely that? Well, they wouldn't crossbreed with them. It's probably with doing with the fostering and stuff like that. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. It's close to them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they're really cool, and you should go see them. They're pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm not a big bird person, but, like, (laughs) you choose a lot of birds. But I'm still not a big big bird person. (laughs) Like, I like them, but I like mammals more. Mm -hmm. Anywho, but, um... Going from a very large bird mm-hmm. down to a cute bird. Oh, goodness. I have chosen the burrowing owl. Okay, so every time we go to this area, this is the animal I have to see. And if it is not out, I call them my little buddies. What? I remember. I forgot to mention this about the last time I went to the safari park. Yeah? The burrowing owl was attacking the desert tortoise. Really? 
Yes, he was diving at his I've head. never seen a tortoise. <laughs> it was so funny. Wow, I've never yeah. seen them be mean. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I call them my little buddies, and I get very sad if I don't see them mm-hmm. when I go, because I usually find them, and they're just I just hang out there for a little bit, and they're yeah. just cute, and I love them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so their um, scientific name is Athene Cunicularia? Sure, we're going to go with that. Uh, they're found in the southwestern United States and Mexico, but has a range extending north for breeding grounds in the U.S. and Canada. There are, I cannot speak. They are also found in Florida, the Caribbean, and throughout much of South America. I almost read that as Spain America. Spain. I don't know how. My cursor was on the O, so mm-hmm. it would be. Anyway. They live in habitat with sparse vegetation like prairies, desert, and scrub habitat. That is our habitat here. 19 to 25 centimeters tall. I feel like... They look smaller than an average house mm-hmm. cat, so that's weird, but whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. they're kind of, whatever. Anyway, um, they weigh 150 grams, have a wingspan of 55 centimeters, and they live six to eight years in the wild, but they have been known to live into their teens in captivity. Their generic name is named after the Greek goddess of knowledge and wisdom, um, and, uh, well, Athena, obviously, who was most often associated with an owl. I don't even remember that. Yeah, anyway, okay. Did I tell you, by the way, that I almost named Affy Athena? Oh, really? She was not a smart cat. It was a good thing I went with Aphrodite <laughs> and not Athena because it would have been oh. weird. Anyway, I missed her. But anyway, back to Athena, you know, wisdom and all of that. Um, despite their name, burrowing owls do not actually create their own burrows, but will take up residence in a burrow that has been dug out by another animal, such as prairie dogs. Go for it. Because of their small size, they are at risk of predation for many species. So when they are out in the open and detect a threat... They will run into their burrow for safety. Unlike most owl species, the burrowing owl is diurnal, but it will spend its time hunting around sunrise and sunset. The bulk of their diet consists of insects and rodents, but they have also been known to prey on lizards, frogs, birds, and young rabbits. You eat what you can eat. Yeah. Um, they are a monogamous species and will share responsibilities of hunting and watching over the offspring. And the burrowing owl will also defecate near the entrance of the burrow to attract insects. How lovely. Mm. Um, Sometimes they will have a surplus of prey they caught and will store it in a chamber in their burrow to feed on later, similar to a pantry. Perfect. (laughs) It is listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List. Population is currently in decline. The major threats to the species survival include habitat loss, environmental toxins, and urbanization. What are the environmental toxins? It's just stuff for... Pesticides and stuff for... Okay. And oil and gas and stuff like that. Uh, Many burrowing species are being displaced, and with the decline of these species, there is a decrease in burrows available for the burrowing owls. Obviously, that makes sense. Anyways, they're super cute. I love them. I love their little faces. I just love them. Anyway, so those are our picks um, that were extremely specific. There's only, like, four more animals in that area. I like, I can't even, there's bighorn sheep. Yep, which would be my third choice. The eagles. Is the eagles. Oh, yeah, bald eagles, eagles right yeah. right there, and then the toucan. Yeah. And, um, I just try, I'm trying to think of the ones that are specifically in America. The vulture. Or hawk. I think it's a hawk. Sorry. Oh, yeah, the Harris hawk. Yeah, anyway. It's um, one of my favorite hawks. Yeah, there's there's a few things up there. There's not a lot, though. I wanted to do the burrowing <laughs> Anyway, um, and, uh, you know, speaking of birds, <laughs> what do you, Casey, what do you give a sick bird? I do not know. Medical treatment. <laughs> I love it. Alrighty. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, but that brings us 
to our Animal of the Week, and I'm so excited. <laughs> All right, Casey, our Animal of the Week is... The American pika. The American pika. They're so cute, and I love them. And I told you listeners that we would get to them because I just decided we're doing this one because they're so adorable. All right, continue on, Casey. Tell us about them. Yes, so these guys come from the order Lagomorpha. Mm-hmm. Come from the family Ocodontidae. Tontidae. Okay. Ocodontidae. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their scientific name is Ocotono Princeps. <laughs> I cannot talk today. This is a struggle. Okotona princeps. Okay. Yes, these guys range, extends from British Columbia down to New Mexico and California. They live in mountainous regions around the tree line, normally at higher elevations. Mm-hmm. And the wild, they average around three years with a maximum of about seven years. Okay. They are about 16 to 21 centimeters long and weigh 120 to 170 grams. So cute. Yes. And they are an herbivorous species. They are generalists that feed on a large variety of plants. But they prefer plants that are high in protein, fats, and water content. So this would include things like grasses, weeds, and forbs. Forbs? What are those? Those are non-woody flowering plants. Oh, okay. Now, they may physically resemble rodents, but they belong to a group called the lagomorphs. Mm-hmm. The order Lagomorpha also includes the family Leporidae, which consists of rabbits and hares. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the features that distinguishes them from rodents is the presence of a second pair of incisors behind the first. Yep. They are among the few mammals in the lower 48 which can survive in the region above the tree line year-round, whereas most will stay there very much temporarily. Mm-hmm. As a form of protection, pika live in colonies and will make alarm calls to alert other pika predators in the area. And despite living in colonies, they are highly territorial over defending their personal dens. <laughs> They're also among the few monogamous mammals. They are also induced ovulators, which mm. is when the female does not ovulate until she's had sex. So weird, but yeah. Yep. And females are also polyesterous and average about two litters per year with each litter averaging around three offspring. Mm, okay. And they also undergo postpartum estrich, but what, which is when they will undergo estrus after having given birth. Wow. But will only nurse the second litter if the first litter did not survive. Oh. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know that about them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the offspring grow up very quickly. The pup become independent by about four weeks of age and will reach adult size by three months. Wow. Mm-hmm. They are considered ecosystem engineered because when they are foraging, they form hay piles, which consists of plant material as well as feces. Yes. And they will feed on the hay piles in the winter, but usually don't eat the entire pile. So the uneaten portion of the pile eventually decays and acts as fertilizer. And this helps to increase the nitrogen content of the soil, which is a limiting resource in high altitude environments, and that is very important for plants. Mm -hmm. Guys are listed as least concerned by the IUCN red list, and the population is currently in decline. Major threats may... Oh, wait. Agdengoof. So, they actually may be a more appropriate symbol for climate change movement than the polar bear. Have you talked about this yet? This is very important to them. Okay. Yeah. 
because climate change is restricting habitat and reducing the population density of the species. They have disappeared from a third of their range in states like Oregon and Nevada. And they live so high on the mountains that there is nowhere higher up they can move to in reaction to climate change, which is how many animals react. Because as temperature increases, the plants have to survive at higher elevations than... To move up where it's cooler. Yes, and these guys survive. have nowhere to go. No, they're at the yep. top already. Yeah. So this also makes them vulnerable to new predators, pests, and extreme weather conditions. Mm -hmm. And I think I remember because they talked about these guys in, I think it was the Yosemite National Parks one. Mm -hmm. um, and they, something like they can't survive if it's warmer than like. Oh yeah, they are. 75 degrees yep. Fahrenheit. They're, something like that. Something close to that. Yeah. So that's why they have to keep moving up because they'll, they'll just die yeah. if they're down in something hotter, which 75 degrees is like the perfect temperature for Californians, <laughs> um, but not for these guys. Yeah, no, they're very sensitive to heat. Yeah. So it's really sad because they, they have literally nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So, um, But they are the cutest, and none of these descriptions give you an idea of how adorable they are. <laughs> they're sort of like a bunny, but not really because they don't have those ears, but like they're just they're so cute. They're little fluffies. <laughs> Ugh, I love them. Can't wait to share a picture. So adorable. Anyway, but um, but yeah, that's our animal of the week. So excited for that one. Yep. It's almost like a bonus <laughs> listener's choice because that was the second runner, or the first runner up, and um, I was like, we're doing it. <laughs> I love it. All right, but that brings us to our challenge. Yes. And it was Casey's turn to choose it. Yes. So I found a supposed high school level biology quiz to test Allie on. You say supposed. Did you actually look through it to see if you feel like it is a high school level? It might. I think it is. Okay. I'm going to fail this because high school was a long time ago and the last bio class I had that was like actually biology biology was freshman year of high school. Yeah. This is not going to go well. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. I hope you get this first one though because it's a very easy one. This is going to be so humiliating. Okay. Should I drink my little baby guy first? <laughs> yes, go ahead. <laughs> no, I have to drive after this and yeah. I'm lightweight. Okay, go on. <laughs> The green pigment in plant cells is called chlorophyll, verde, formaldehyde, or alcohol. <laughs> chlorophyll. I got one. Yes, you did. Yay! I haven't completely failed. Yes. T cells, B cells, macrophages, and platelets are all part of the blank system. Circulatory, digestive, endocrine, or immune? Circulatory. I'm going to guess blood. I mean, no idea. It is the immune system. Oh, the immune system? Yes, T cells and B cells produce mm. antibodies. Yeah, Macrophages right. are the white cells that destroy pathogens. Platelets are part of the immune system in that they form clots. Mm, okay. <laughs> Which organ breaks apart and grinds up food that enters it from the mouth via the esophagus? Liver, stomach, kidney, or small intestine? Which organ does what? From the esophagus? Which organ breaks apart and grinds up food that enters it from the mouth via the esophagus? Breaks food apart and grinds it? Mm -hmm. I wasn't aware any of our organs ground things. <laughs> oh, God. Liver, stomach, kidney, or small intestine? Um, it's, I'm going to say it's not liver, but, um, <laughs> but stomach, like, is acidic. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that grinds anything up. I don't really feel like, I don't really know how the kidney actually processes. Mm, you think I remember what happens first? <laughs> where's, where's that compared? Isn't that after that? I don't know. I'm just gonna say the stomach. I don't know. 
Is it small intestine? It is the stomach. Yay, okay. Yeah, when you actually digest food, your stomach does contract. I didn't know it did that. Yes, it does. Oh, crazy, okay. <laughs> Which of the following connects two bones in a joint? Cartilage, ligament, muscle, or tendon? It should, I should know that. I should definitely know that. 100%. Mm. It's not muscle. <laughs> um, is it, what is this one that people fuck up all the time? What's your ACL? Is that a ligament? Is that a tendon? What That's, is that? ACL is... No, I know it's down here, but ligament. like... ACL is tendon. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm going to say tendon. Correct answer is ligament. Damn. Okay. <laughs> we definitely did not go over any of this in biology, by the way. This is more of a physiology. Yeah, I learned about this when I took anatomy and physiology Yeah, this is physiology. This is not <laughs> yep. biology. <laughs> Fish breathe through ears, gills, <laughs> nose, heart. Definitely their heart. The gills. <laughs> that is correct. I also did not learn that in freshman biology. I learned that as like a two-year-old. <laughs> Which type of blood vessel carries oxygenated blood away from the heart to all of the body's tissues? Arteries, capillaries, podocytes, veins. I don't remember. What are my options? Arteries, capillaries, podocytes, or veins? I'm just going to say capillaries. I really don't know. It is arteries. Okay, great. Yeah. What type of behavior is exhibited by a plant when it bends towards the light? Positive phototropism, negative phototropism, thirst, anger. <laughs> okay, I have learned none of these. And see, <laughs> see, usually when I do things like this, it's like, oh, yeah, I learned that back then. I just don't remember what the answer is. N none of this. I'm going to say positive phototropism or whatever the fuck that was. That is correct. And a lot of these human-y type ones are definitely physiology and not yeah. biology. <laughs> what is the first stage of development after fertilization of an egg? Embryo, baby, blastula, zygote. What is the blastula? <laughs> um, it, it's between two, and I don't really remember. Also, I don't think we ever did that in biology either. I'm going to say... Um, Embryo. It's a zygote. It's, it's a zygote. zygote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the way, blastula is when it has to divide quite a bit, and then it starts to develop the gastrointestinal tract. Oh. Yeah. I've literally Which case that. is the mouth or the anus. Great. It starts to cave in on itself. Weird. Okay. Yeah. And this I did learn in biology. Okay. <laughs> so this I... is like the first question then. <laughs> Well, yep. chlorophyll. That yeah. was fine. But, like, nothing else so far has been a biology question. What does a eukaryotic cell have that a prokaryotic cell is missing? God. Cytoplasm, mitochondria, nucleus, vacuoles. Okay, so this we... Yes, you're right. We did learn this, but I feel like this was eighth grade, and I do not remember that. That was forever ago. <laughs> um, one of my friends clearly was not even born then. <laughs> um, what, are, what, what are the options again? Cytoplasm, mitochondria, nucleus, Vacuoles. I'm just going to say cytoplasm because I really don't remember. It was way too long ago. Answer is nucleus. Okay. Yeah, all cells have a cytoplasm. Though this is not really correct. Uh, prokaryotes don't have um, 
mitochondria. Okay, well, <laughs> this is not a good biology test, <laughs> since most of the questions have not been biology. Which of the following contains instructions for all living things? Lipids, DNA, RNA, DNA, and RNA. I, this I should know. I, I don't. I'm going to say it's DNA and RNA, but it's probably one or the other. It is DNA and RNA. Oh, yay! <laughs> a person with type A blood can receive a transfusion from a person with which blood types? Type O only, type A only, type B only, type A and O. I would assume it's type A and O. You should be able to get your own type of blood. Yes. Okay. That is correct. Yes. My mom's typo and I'm type A. Yeah, my dad is typo, so they always uh, want blood from him. Yeah. <laughs> Which list of homologous structures support the theory of evolution? A human hand, a whale fin, and a bat's wing. A human leg, a catfish spine, and a raccoon nose. A cow leg, a snake's spine, and a frog's skull. A human ear, a cat's mouth, and a dog's leg. Have a hundred percent never ever learned anything that has anything to do with this. Really? Never oh. in my life. It's because you're a bio major when you went to college. Bio was high school, and then I had like one like eco bio thing yeah. that was online. And yeah. Anyway, um, I'm gonna say the first one because none of that shit makes any sense to me. That is correct. That makes the most sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, homologous structures are ones that have a common evolutionary origin. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. A sarcomere is the basic structural unit of which type of tissue? I have no idea what a sarcomere is. Kleenex, <laughs> brain, liver, or muscle? Kleenex? What the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> I think it's just a joke answer. I just, I have, I have no idea what that is. I'm just going to say muscle. I have no idea what that is. That is correct. Okay, great. <laughs> They are um, repeating units and are the segments of myofibril, which is composed muscle fiber. Okay. Compared to cells, viruses do not have a nucleus, organelles, cell membrane, or all of the above. Oh, God, so many things. Um, you think I would know this just from, like, watching shit about COVID, but <laughs> I haven't watched that much shit, actually, I guess, about COVID. They don't have, what are my options? A nucleus what? Nucleus, organelles, cell membrane, or all of the above. I don't know what organelles are. And I don't remember if they have a nucleus or not. I'll just say all of the above. We'll just fucking do it. That is correct. Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> organelles are the little mini organs within the cell that perform specific jobs. Okay. Which of the following is not a part of the anatomy of a flower? Anthers, liver, filament, stigma. I'm going to say the liver. Thank God. <laughs> That is correct. I don't remember anthers, though, either. What are those? That's the male part of flower. Oh, okay. I think. Oh, wait, no. That might be the female part. I'd not go with botany. Okay. Actually, I think that might be the females. Wow. Yeah, because the males is the stamen. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right, yeah. Okay. Gregor Mendel is known as the founder of the modern science of genetics. What type of plants did he use to establish Jeez. the rules of... <laughs> that was freshman yes. year of high school. Thank you. <laughs> The most common kind of color blindness involves the inability to distinguish between the colors blank and blank. Red and green. <laughs> also, There's... did not learn that in biology. I just know that. Really? Yeah, no, did not know that. From biology. 
If a man who is colorblind marries a woman who is carrier for colorblindness, what is the chance of having a child that is not colorblind? 0%, 12.5%, 50%, or 100%? Okay, so now I have to do math. Um, okay, wait, so he is colorblind? Yes. And she has a probably recessive gene of colorblind? She, yeah, she is a carrier for colorblindness. Okay, so... God, math. Um, I don't. I haven't envisioned the fucking chart, dude. <sighs> I'm just going to say, because I'm not taking the time to think about this, wait, that they're having a kid who is colorblind or is not? What is the chance of having a child that is not colorblind? Okay. Um, do you have any there? And then you get a little bit more. So what were my options again now? 0%, 12.5%, 50%, 100%. Who is not colorblind? Um, I'm going to say the, I'm just going to go with the 12 point, whatever. That is not correct. Is it 50? It's 50%. 50 yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's because it's a sex link trait. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, that makes more sense, though, because usually yep. it affects men more, right? Yep. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. If a person has sickle cell anemia, what shape do his or her blood, red blood cells form? A circle, crescent, oval, or square? I want to say, well, sickle. It has to be crescent. Because mm-hmm. a sickle sword is crescent. That is correct. There we go. What is D&D. the <laughs> What is the process of cell division? Cytokinesis, meiosis, mitosis, oh, no. mitosis, and cytokinesis. Okay, so this I definitely learned in eighth grade. Do not remember it. Um, I, I this one I should know. This is bad because I don't, and I'm just gonna guess. But I should know this. I'm gonna say mitosis. It's mitosis and cytokinesis. Okay, I don't remember cytokinesis. Cytokinesis is where the plasma membrane comes back over on itself and separates the cells. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are the stages of mitosis? Oh, no. I learned this in eighth grade. (laughs) First, second, and third base. Oh, my God. Who wrote this quiz? I don't know. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, my God. They're trying to make it so you can actually get it. Prophase, prometaphase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase. Okay. Fetus, embryo, infant, puberty, adult. Okay, so obviously they made that one clear, which I would have guessed hopefully anyway, but the third one, that was the metaphase, well, protophase, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. What lines up in the middle of the cell during metaphase two of meiosis? All the organelles, the chromosomes, cytoplasm, the mitochondria. I have no idea. I'm just going to say mitochondria. Literally don't remember. It's the chromosomes. Okay, great. What class of joint-legged invertebrates has eight legs? Arachnid, (laughs) silenterates, insects, roundworms. I'm going to say arachnid. You are correct. Yeah. The part of the neuron that carries messages away from the cell body is called a axon, brainstem, hose, motor. It's an axon. I don't remember. I remember learning that, but I don't remember it. That is correct. Right. What gland makes, stores, and releases thyroxine and triodothyronine to regulate regulate metabolism? The kidney, liver, stomach, or thyroid? Thyroid. That is correct. Yes. Again, physiology, (laughs) (laughs) which I never took. What does using an oil immersion lens do on a microscope? Nothing. Increases the magnification, decreases the magnification, makes it greasy. 
An oil what? Oil what? immersion lens. What's an oil immersion lens? I don't even remember what that is. <laughs> what? I'm going to say it increases it. I have no idea. I don't even know what that is. That is correct. Okay, great. Oil immersion is where you take this special oil, you take a put a drop on what you're observing, then you put it on the microscope because okay. there's this certain higher magnification. You can't do it without the oil because the light starts acting weird. Oh. <laughs> and it will create a diverged image. You won't be able to see anything. Huh, okay. So you need the oil to focus it huh, and increases okay. the magnification. There we go. Mm -hmm. But it does make it crazy. <laughs> so actually, two of these things are right. <laughs> it's, it's always messy. Okay. Lactic acid produced by bacteria is used to make all of the following except cottage cheese, motor oil, Sauerkraut yogurt. This has nothing to do with biology. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it does not. I've never Bacteria. heard anything like this in biology ever in my life. I have zero idea. What are my options again? Yogurt. Cottage yogurt. cheese, motor oil, sauerkraut, yogurt. And there's only one that it doesn't? Yes. I'm going to say it's sauerkraut. Because I, I, I feel like it should be motor oil, but like I feel like they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's motor oil, too. It is motor oil. Oh, damn. Well, go with your instincts. Yep. Also, right. sauerkraut is disgusting. It is. Also, Wait. so is cottage cheese. So. It's, it has its applications. Anaerobic bacteria will not survive if exposed to nitrogen, hydrogen, water, or oxygen. Anaerobic? Mm-hmm. Um... I don't really know. I'm going to say oxygen. That is correct. Yay me. Anaerobic means without oxygen. Here we go. In which process does a liquid pass through a semi-permeable membrane to obtain equilibrium? Exocytosis, fermentation, phagocytosis, or osmosis? What is, wait, what's happening with it? It's passing through a membrane Liquid to... passes through a semi-permeable membrane to obtain equilibrium. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to say osmosis because I literally have no idea. It is osmosis. Great, okay. <laughs> the theory of evolution was elegantly explained in the 1958 book on the origin of species. Who wrote this book? It was clearly Charles Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> Choices are Charlie Sheen. Oh my God, okay. Charles Darwin, Prince Charles, Charles Manson. Oh my god! Darwin! Yes. Obviously, this is not a good test. It's got so much summer funny. Oh my god. What is the process by which scientists use experimentation to explore observations and answer questions? The scientific method. Yes. Great. <laughs> the first antibiotic was discovered by Alexander Fleming in 1928. What was the antibiotic named? Penicillin, erythromycin, doxycycline, or ciproflaxin? I feel like it was penicillin. You are correct. Yay. I'm crying from laughing so much. <laughs> Is that the Charlie Sheen thing? Oh my god. Well, I laugh more at Charles Manson. That too, yeah. <laughs> what is an autotroph? An organism that can make its own food, an organism that eats a eats animals, an organism that eats plants, an organism that eats automobiles. <laughs> What's the first way you can make its own food? Yeah. I'm going to say that. You're correct. Okay, great. 
Never learned that in biology class, by the way. What the hell? Yeah. You Never. were abusing your bio class. It was a freshman in high school. I don't care. The most basic classification of living things as described by Linnaeus in the 1700s is kingdom, genus, phylum, species. The most basic meaning the highest level or the most specific level? Based on basic, I would say highest. Okay, so what are my options saying? Kingdom? Kingdom, genus, phylum, species. Okay, so this is where we apply the did King Philip <laughs> come over? <laughs> did King, so kingdom? Kingdom? You are correct. Yay! <laughs> what organelle is considered the powerhouse of the cell? The mitochondria. <laughs> I hate the mitochondria. Learning that stuff was annoying. I don't even remember it. I just know that everyone has that memorized because it was drilled into you and you'll never use it in your life. Okay, so your score mm -hmm. is 74%. I mean, I'm, I think that's actually pretty good. But also, this, especially for the yes. fact that half of it was physiology, which I never yeah. took. The average score was 73%. <laughs> just a smidge. Yes. Just a smidge better. Uh, and I should have gone with my instinct on motor oil. Yes. Obviously. <sighs> Oh my god. That was a joy. I feel like that was not a very good one. I feel like I've taken others in the past that were uh, better. Um, but that's okay, because I will have a challenge for you where you get to feel dumb. So it's fun. <laughs> but yeah, that brings us to the end of episode 50. Oh my gosh, we're almost done with our first whole year of, um, bum, bum, bum. of the podcast. Our podcast yep. is going to be one, Casey. Like, actually, in real time. <laughs> Anyway. And I'll be another year closer to death. <laughs> As are we all. <laughs> anyway, um, but thank you for listening to episode 50. And as always, we are your hosts, Allie. And Casey. <laughs> we'll catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast. <laughs>